Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Our guest this week is Amy Herman. She is author of the new book, Fixed, How to Perfect the Fine Art of Problem Solving. A link to where you can get that in the show notes. We are going to talk about how she has turned uh, her background in art history and the law into a... Uh, into into a system for solving all of the problems in your life and how to reorient your brain to see problems in a new light. She has consulted with the State Department, with with detectives uh, at different police departments. She is uh, she has a very unique perspective. I shouldn't say very unique because you cannot have degrees of uniqueness. For those of you who are English majors, you're cringing right now. She has a unique perspective that she is able to apply to all kinds of stuff. So uh, here we go with my interview with Amy Herman. Okay, Amy Herman, uh, you're a lawyer, art historian. You're the founder of The Art of Perception. It's a program that uses works of art to, uh, to problem solve, revitalize our minds, refine our creative thinking. But most importantly, you are the author of the new book, Fixed, How to Perfect the Fine Art of Problem Solving, which is what we're going to talk about today. Amy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Overjoyed to be here. Okay, so I, what I would like to do is, you know, you you have a very strange background. That's strange. I that's you know, that, I don't want to I don't want to make assumptions, but you have a, a a background that is not what I would consider uh, the standard process for the kind of uh, kind of work that you do. You're a lawyer and you are a, an art historian, and you started. Take us through. I want to start with what with with the art of perception and how that program has sort of informed some of your other work and how that's going to lead us to problem solving today. Sure, sure. Uh, just the elevator pitch. I didn't like practicing law. I loved art history. So I left the practice of law and I went to work in museum education. And while I worked here in New York City at the Frick Collection, which is a gem of an art museum, it is. I started, yeah, I started this program there and it was neither my idea nor rocket science. It was a program that brought medical students into the art museum. They were doing it at Yale and with the permission, I started at the Frick. And the idea was very simple. Take medical students out of the hospital, out of a clinical setting, bring them to an art museum, teach them how to look at works of art. So when they go back to the hospital, hopefully they'll be better observers of their patients and hopefully be able to communicate with their patients better. And it worked beautifully. I had medical students coming and going. And in 2004, a friend said over drinks one night, why are you just doing this for medical students? Why aren't you doing this for people who really need good observation skills? I said, like whom? He said, like cops. Why oh. aren't you doing this for homicide detectives? And I thought, I don't know. That's brilliant. So that Monday morning, I cold called the NYPD and I told them my idea and I was transferred seven times. They said, what are you, crazy? And I finally got to the right person. And six months later, every newly promoted captain in the NYPD had to come to the Frick Collection. It made it to the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And I've been leading these courses around the world ever since then in intelligence, in the military, law enforcement, medicine, the judiciary, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so how does, how does, uh, how do you take looking at art and use that to enhance the, the needs of say, of, in, in this case, detectives, right? How do, how do you, right. how do you marry those two things? I'm going to start with a platitude and I'm going to say, you know what? The best things happen on the exit ramp of your comfort zone. How's that? <laughs> that's so a, I take, a good one. I, I take detectives out of their comfort zone and bring them to an art museum. And I put them in front of paintings and I say, you, what do you see here? This is a crime scene. What do you notice? Who do you want to talk to? And for some reason, art is not particularly threatening. Everybody sees something. Right. And when I put 
two detectives in front of one painting and they each tell me what's happening, they come up with entirely different versions of what they see. And I say to them, if this happens in front of a painting, what's happening at the crime scene? And all of a sudden it's this eureka moment. Oh my goodness, we all see things so differently. Hmm. So I use art as the data for them to rethink how do they ask questions? How do they take multiple perspectives? How do they retrace their steps and how do they overcome their biases? And then I realized this works across the professional spectrum. It works with the scientific researchers and it works with the intel analysts and it works with the homicide detectives. And now I do the same thing all over the world looking at works of art. So is it as simple as just because because art is inherently subjective, the experience of, of perceiving it is inherently subjective, and when you begin to get people to talk about that subjectivity, it begins to exemplify the different sort of lenses and perspectives that we bring to what we think are objective analyses? Yes and no. I'm going to start by saying yes, because art is inherently subjective. But before we say it's subjective, art is really powerful. People sure, have been creating, sure. creating art for thousands of years, and I see the power as an art historian. But let's face it, 99% of us are not art historians. So all I'm doing is channeling that power in a work of art and getting people to connect the dots between, oh my gosh, there's so much to see in this work of art, and how can, apply, how can I apply this analysis to the work that I'm doing? Mm. So I'm sort of the middleman. I'm taking powerful works of sculpture, paintings, photography, bringing people who don't look at art for a living and saying, let's analyze these together. And you're going to take these skills and it's going to make you a better cop, a better surgeon and a better FBI agent. Interesting. Interesting. And we, I mean, is it, so it is more than just what it, what it inherently tells us about our lens. It's also about how it trains us to look for the details. Absolutely. Uh, There's a big picture and there are small details. And sometimes people will bring me in, you know, after Humpty Dumpty has fallen off the wall and they think, let's bring that art lady and maybe she can help us put those pieces back together. And when I put, you know, I do these exercises and we're in museums or we're in a conference room and I'll hear someone say, these are my favorite words. Someone will say, you know, I never thought of that. I would have <laughs> never thought right. of that. And I say, Eureka, that's what we want. Because as you mentioned, art is so inherently subjective that someone will give their you know, their narrative of what's happening. And someone will say, no, you totally missed this in the corner of the painting. And then someone will say, oh, I never saw that. And the lights just start flickering with all the electricity that's happening in the room. And I really don't have to hold hands. People leave thinking, oh my gosh, I've been missing this for 20 years. I need to go back and rethink the work that I'm doing. That, and I think like, if, too, if you think about it from a detective's perspective, right? Knowing the different... Uh, the, the different bits of history that go into it, like, oh, that, that background guy is actually, that's the face of the Pope while he was painting this, or, et cetera, et cetera. Little things like that that begin to inform the whole piece uh, holistically that you wouldn't know if you didn't have that background information. I think for a detective, that would seem to me to be a, uh, uh, a, a groundbreaking concept. Absolutely. And you hit on a key point before when we were talking, you talked about pattern recognition. Look, all of us look for patterns all the time. That's what we get, you know, we, we see, we have good speakers, we have bad speakers, we see certain patterns, certain illnesses. But what I want to teach people is don't let rec pattern recognition evolve into patterns of expectation. Because we live in a world of outliers right now. You know, if you have a one in a million chance of something happening, you know it's going to happen now because the world right. is so upside down. Right, so right. I teach people to recognize patterns, identify patterns, and then say, you know, it looks like this to me, but it could be this. And painting lends itself to that so beautifully. We see colors and we see mm. brushstrokes and we see, you know, Van Gogh's 20 different paintings. Oh, but this doesn't look like a Van Gogh. Well, why not? How does it differ? How's it an outlier? So we talk about pattern recognition mm. a lot. Okay, 
So let's for a second say that, uh, because I do, that I understand how you got from art history uh, lawyering uh, uh-huh. into this sort of, this idea of the art of perception. Uh, how did that translate and how did that lead to you writing a book about problem solving? Well, I should start by telling you that my first book came out in 2016, and that was called Visual Intelligence, Sharpen Your Perception, Change Your Life. And that book came about because I realized all these people were taking my class and then sending me emails and writing me letters and saying, you know, this is how it changed how I see my work. So I decided we had to write a book. And five years later, I was talking to somebody in publishing, and she said, we were talking about, you know, the the wide spectrum of, of clients that I work with. And she said, why are all these people still coming to you all these years later? Why are you still doing this? And I said, you know, let me let me think about that. Let me ruminate. Why are all these people coming to this art lady? And I realized they all had a problem to solve. Everybody had a problem. It wasn't mm-hmm. the same problem. But yesterday's solutions we know do not solve tomorrow's problems. And they needed innovative ways because the world is moving so quickly that problems are developing faster than we can solve them. So people are coming to me. I showed them an innovative way of thinking about their work and communicating. And now maybe they were betting that I could show them an innovative way to solve their problems. And so I decided to write a book using the artistic process, the creative process, as a template for solving problems. Hmm. Uh, and, and so you begin to give them this template, this creative process for, for solving their problems. And how does that, and then that leads to the book, but how does that, I mean, so one of your chapters, and I think we've kind of covered on this a little bit is clean your lenses, right? It's the opening of your whole concept. And that I feel like, uh, is the inherent nature of what we were talking about before, which is, uh, clean your lenses is basically accept your own subjectivity or analyze your own subjectivity. That's right. And let's be honest, nobody can totally clean their lenses. You know, we all have inherent biases. And I always say, I'm not trying to get rid of your biases. I'm trying to make you aware of them. And so the best way to clean your lenses, the book is broken down into three big sections, prep, draft and exhibit because that's what all artists have to do. They have to prepare. They have to make drafts over and over again. And finally, the work is exhibited in one way or another. And so that's what we all have to do. We have to prep for solving a problem by saying, all right, let's figure out what this problem is. Let's articulate what the problem is, clean our lenses, let's start from scratch if we can. Then we have to think about stepping into other people's shoes and define this project. Then we move into draft, let's do sketches, let's think about this, let's try different iterations. And finally, we move into exhibit. And when you exhibit, you run into all kinds of problems, contradictions, mistakes, things break. So I address each of those and I want, to be, I want this to have universal applicability. I want engineers to be able to use it, and I want stay-at-home mothers to use it and people that are caring for the terminally ill to use it because we all face problems every day. And you don't, I don't want anybody to be more exhausted than they already are. So I teach them to break their problems down into these bite-sized pieces, celebrate the small accomplishments, and then move on to the next problem. And, uh, okay, so, I mean, <laughs> why do you need a whole book if it's that simple? <laughs> because it's not simple. The problem is we all have these huge problems and you, and you say at the end of the day, I have such a headache. I have so many things to think about and I can't, I don't want to add to people's plates, you know, memorize these three points and follow my direction. No, not that. Here's a template that you can use with your kids. You can use it at your job. You can use it with your partner. You can use it however you want to do it. I just teach people to, to be able to manage contradictions to incorporate their mistakes into the into their solutions and to break things down in manageable pieces because otherwise we're just going to be consumed by right. our problems. Right. People are swimming in a mess right now. Let's get out of the mess. 
have you yeah go ahead have you noticed any speaking of patterns have you noticed any patterns that have emerged uh in sort of universality of problems that people have that uh, you think would inform a lot of people's problems sure i mean one of them let's let's take the last two and a half years for example um everything as we as everything that we know has changed okay right people don't wear formal clothes anymore people are running around in sweats our, our social norms have changed. How dare and, you? How dare you? I'm wearing sweats right now, and I feel see? I feel called out. <laughs> My colleague and I, our favorite hashtag is who needs pants? I mean, who <laughs> needs pants? So the idea of thinking about all these norms, and, and I'm going to steal a line from Winston Churchill, if you'll let me. He's not here to argue with me. It's fine he with said, me. never let a good crisis go to waste. And so my idea is, let's not think of this pandemic as this heavy weight. Let's look back at the last two and a half years and say, okay, what worked for us? What didn't work? And let's bring forward with us what worked and let's leverage it and do even better. Hmm. Because all of us have had to face problems that we didn't see coming for a mile. You know, we just, who thought about working remotely 110% of the time? Who thought about, you know, the dog throwing up while you're in the most important conference of your career? I mean, we just, we don't have, we didn't have those issues. So what I'm trying to do is get people to really take a hard look. That's where the visual intelligence parts comes in at the problems and the issues that they've been facing, make them manageable, digestible, repairable, and carry the good with you and leave the bad behind so that when the next problems come, comes up, you're better equipped to deal with it. And do mm-hmm. I need a book? Yeah, I do. Because there are so many problems that it's so easy to be overwhelmed right now. And I don't yes. want people to be overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is... So, I mean, one of the things I really like about the way you're framing this, right, is this is the is the prep stage where you define the project and you break it up into smaller pieces. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you identify your subjectivity, you break down the process. Uh, when you do that, it does help you not feel a little bit less overwhelmed and it gives you those small tasks that make you feel like you're making progress on something that you wouldn't necessarily feel like you're making progress on. Absolutely. And one of the key pieces in the draft section, most people would make it negative, but I've turned it into a positive. It set a deadline. People usually think in the pejorative, I hate deadlines, but you know what? Let's make deadlines milestones instead of deadlines. Let's make them reasons to find more creativity and let's make a series of small deadlines instead of one big looming deadline so that you can say, whoa, I got that done. Let me move on to the next one. And again, it comes down to breaking this into bite-sized pieces. And while we're having this conversation, the thing that makes me the happiest is I've done this all in the context of visual art. I've given people paintings and sculpture and photography as their visual guidelines to do this. This is not a book of let's read and read. Let's look at pictures and show how different artists have created these works of art and they illustrate the points that I'm trying to make in the book. It's visually something to look at to help you guide you in solving these problems. Okay, I, uh, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come okay. back, when we come back, I want you to explain to me how that works. And I want you to, we're going to get a little bit more concrete into how to use visual art the way that Amy's talking about in order to identify and solve our problems uh, when we come back with more from Amy Herman. All right, Amy, before the break, we were talking really quickly about, uh, about how you take, I mean, we, we talked about how you use the idea of fine art to teach people about themselves and about their perspectives and about how to find details and, you know, to be better detectives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, not not to be so dismissive of your body of work. <laughs> I'm just I'm just moving past it because we we got there. Uh, right. But but you were before this. You were talking about how this idea of problem solving, of breaking down the problems, these insurmountable, uh, seemingly insurmountable uh, obstacles in our lives. You use visual art, use pictures in order to help us break it down. So can you give us? An example, because it sounds fascinating. I buy into the overall concept, but I wanted something a little bit more concrete. So can sure. you can you give me some concrete examples of how like we could take a life problem or a business problem and use visual art to begin to break it down? Absolutely. There is one painting that I introduce in the opening pages of the book, and I trace the painting all the way through the book. It's sort of this milestone, because the painting itself is called The Raft of the Medusa. And it's a horrifying painting, horrifying. It was painted in... 1819 to 1820. And basically it was a, a commemorative painting of a ship that ran aground in 1816. And it'll sound very familiar. There was an incompetent captain who was appointed by, uh, you know, someone by the king in France. And he appointed this captain. Captain didn't know what he was doing. The ship ran aground and the captain tried to save his life and those of his senior officers and everybody else had to go onto this lifeboat. Mm-hmm. And he threw 150 people on the lifeboat and basically they had to fend for themselves and over 13 days all but 15 of them died all of them wow. and they were reduced to starvation and dehydration and cannibalism it was just a horrible it was a scandal in france and it really reflected very poorly on the government mm-hmm. so the artist jericho decided to make a painting about this horrific event in french history and he chose the moment when the survivors on this raft are barely surviving and it's the moment when they flag down the rescue ship. It's Mm. the exact moment when the man is flagging it down and it was very scandalous because the man that was flagging down the ship was a black man Mm. who heard of that in the 19th century. And it's showing people they're they're dying, they're dehydrated, they're cannibalism, it's just awful. Mm. And Jericho took this as his problem. The canvas is huge. It's 23 by 16 feet. And he had to take a political problem and he had to put it on canvas. The government was angry with him. He didn't have enough supplies. He shaved his head. He was getting out of an affair. He had millions and millions of problems. How did he solve the problem of creating a painting that now takes the whole wall at the Louvre? How did he do it? How did he get the paint? How did he seclude himself? How did he break it down into digestible pieces? How did he overcome his hurdles? And so I traced the creation of this painting. And Mm. one of the best parts for me is at the end of the book, he finally exhibits the painting, the last part of the book, he exhibits the painting at the Paris Salon of 1819, and the reception is lukewarm at best. The government (laughs) hates it. People are saying this is a disgusting painting. People are dying. They're dehydrated. And you know what the problem was? He took the painting down, he took it to London, and he showed it in London, and everyone loved it. Why? Because he lowered the painting so people could see it. He just Uh. changed their perspective. So it's all about problem solving, from the creation to the idea, to to making the painting, to getting your subjects, to taking dead heads out of a morgue and painting them, to actually exhibiting the painting. So I use this as a model saying you can't take on the whole project at once. You have to break it down into small pieces and say, how am I going to solve this problem and this one and this one? So I can finally say you have to sell your parents' house. Say parents have died. You have to sell the house. How am I going to empty the attic? How am I going to do all these things? Break it down room by room, paint by paint, piece of canvas by piece of canvas. Consult the right people. And if you break it down, it really is very doable, just like Jericho's painting. That so okay so so not to be overly did you follow that I did I followed it and but I just I, I don't want to be overly reductive but it seems as though 
we can't we can't just go and go uh, go to our local municipal museum and walk through and get inspired by art, which is a fantastic way to spend an afternoon, by the way. And if you don't spend time doing that, uh, you're missing out. Right. But but what I'm hearing you say is that your system, your methodology kind of requires a deeper understanding, a, a, an art historian's understanding of the context of the paintings that we're looking yes at. And, yes and no. Okay, go ahead. Yes and no. You know why? First of all, as you said, just to, to uh, follow, follow those coattails, going to an art museum is always a good thing to clear your head yes. when you are really weighted down with a problem, but not all of us have the luxury of saying, you know what, put that on hold, I'm running to the Met. I'll mm -hmm. be back in an hour. Nobody right. can do that. But, but the idea... You don't have to have any prior knowledge or art historical knowledge. What, what I tell people to do is when you do go to a museum, when you do have the, the privilege of going to a museum, walk into a gallery and say, which of these works would I take home with me if I could? If I could take any of these works on the wall home with me, which one would it be? Go close to it and understand why you're drawn to it. What is it about that work of art that you're drawn to? Walk around it, look at it from different angles, think about what you like, what you don't like, what are the colors, what's the subjects, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And only then can you read the label. I want you to think about your own sense of observation before you read somebody else's interpretation of what you should be looking at. And that's how I want you to look at a problem. I want you to walk around it. I want you to look at the different angles. I want you to sleep on it if you can, think about it the next day, talk to other people, and then get other information. So it really isn't about the substantive content. I just gave you the example of the Raft of the Medusa as mm -hmm. the template for thinking about breaking down big problems into smaller sure, ones, sure. but also using your own strong sense of observation. Because what I've learned after working with thousands of people in all these different professions, everybody sees something. And you need to rely on your sense of observation. What are your kids not telling you when they come home from school? Right. It's as important as what they are telling you. Sure. How can you really leverage your own observation skills to look at your problems differently with the ultimate goal of solving them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and uh, that's fantastic. I mean, that's yeah, crazy, isn't it? It, it, it is. And it's, it's enlightening and it's inspiring. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I hope that everybody this this makes everybody want to go out and buy the book. Again, the book is fixed. How to perfect the fine art of problem solving. There's a link in the show notes for where you guys can buy it. Uh, can I tell you one more very quick anecdote? Oh my gosh, such? please. Do you have time? Okay, of because it's just, it's a real life problem. When I was working on visual intelligence, my editor suggested the title, Sharpen Your Perception, Change Your Life. And I said, come on, Aiden, this doesn't change anybody's life. And he said, it changed mine. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I was riding the subway in New York and I was on the subway and the woman across the aisle from me started coughing. And she was coughing and she was coughing harder and harder and fiddling through her purse. And he said, when the train came into the station, I got out of the car, I went up to the conductor in the middle car, and I said, you need to take this train out of service. There's a woman in car 7461. She's having an asthma attack. She can't get her medicine. Call EMS and take the train out of service. And I said to him, you would have done that if you hadn't read my book. He said, I wouldn't have. He said, because you taught me how to put the pieces in place to look at the number of the subway car to know the term, take it out of service, to be able to articulate what I observed and why the woman was in trouble. And don't you know, while he was in the subway station, EMS came, took the woman away, and he saved her life. Wow. And I tell you that, I'm not tooting my horn because he did it, but it's about how we process the information that we see. Mm. This woman was having a real problem, and because Eamon knew how to take that visual information and put it to use by telling the conductor, take this train out of service, call EMS, he used the visual information to save somebody's life. So that's what I mean by being able to 
to use a work of art to think about looking and analyzing and putting that visual information into a usable format to solve your problems. That, yeah, that is, well, first of all, it's an amazing story. Second, I loved of, it. <laughs> second of all, what I like so much about it is that you're talking about information that we already have access to. So there's readily no, available. Right. Readily available. Yeah. There, there's nothing in this where, you know, if you are, whatever field you're in, there's no additional coursework you need to attain. There's no, I mean, look, I, I think continuing education is important, but there's nothing, there's nothing to what you're proposing that requires anything beyond training yourself to see and process the, these things as they come to us. I'm going to steal a line again from one of my intelligence colleagues. You know what he said? He said, neurons that fire together, wire together. Yes, I've and when, heard that. And when you, when you look at works of art, you are engaging your brain in a way that nothing else does. It's yeah. like when you listen to music or you watch a video. And when you when those neurons fire together to look at works of art, they're going to wire together again at another point to solve your problem. That's my premise. Let's use our brains to look at art and analyze it so that we can set our brain in a pattern to wire together to solve problems at another time. So when Eamon looked at my methodology and looked at art and then saw the woman on the subway really gasping for breath, he put the two together, connected it, and saved her life. There are a lot of people with art history degrees right now who are feeling very vindicated by your by <laughs> your system. I'm cheering them on. Let me tell you, I'm cheering them on. <laughs> See, Mom, I can do something other than just work at a gallery. Uh, folks, <laughs> the book, again, is fixed. Link in the show notes, How to Perfect the Fine Art of Problem Solving. Amy Herman, uh, I know your time is valuable. We are going to wrap this up, but I am going to ask you two last questions. First, sure. uh, how can people follow up with you aside from just buying the book? Uh, thank you for asking that. My website, I, on social media, I'm at, at Amy Herman AOP, which stands for Art of Perception. And I also have a website that details all my work, my clients, and how to reach me. And that's artfulperception.com, A-R-T-F-U-L perception.com. Link to your social media and your website will be in the show notes as Fantastic. well. Uh, last but not least, this is a question I ask to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? I can tell you, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. Mm. Stop striving to be perfect and let good be good enough, whether it's in living your life or in solving your problems. Don't beat yourself up and let good be good enough. And I'm going to add a second one. Go for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Henry James, who said, try to be the person on whom nothing is lost. Open your eyes. Oh, which is exactly that that <laughs> quote I feel like really exemplifies your system, right? Try to be the yes, person whom nothing is lost. To take it that's all in. It. That's it. And you know what? As you said before so beautifully, you don't need to take a course to do this. It's about training your eyes and training your brain to engage differently, which I hope will help solve your problems. Absolutely. And uh, Amy Herman, thank you so much for your time today. Really It was a pleasure. It. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you uh, like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. Uh, leave a review if you wouldn't mind. Again, that just moves us up and helps other people hear the show. Share it with a friend if you want to. If you want to follow up with us or message us, you can find us at facebook.com slash John Tesh at John Tesh, on, uh, at John Tesh underscore IFYL on Instagram. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, please reach out. Tell me what you think of the show. I try to respond to every DM, every mention of the show, because ultimately I do this show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.